get ready for adventure. Islands of it, man. From the studios to Volcano Bay, this is the Universal Joint, a podcast devoted to all things universal with your host, Jim Hill and Dustin Foods. Welcome to the Universal Joint podcast. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill. Let me bring my co-host Dustin Fusen, who, who, by the way, lives up in Toronto. So you've been dealing with some pretty extreme temperatures over the past week or so, right? Yeah. The funny thing with being in, in Toronto and being in Canada is that on one side of the coast, it's incredibly cold. On the other side of the coast, it's still there's not enough snow that you stop playing golf. You can mm-hmm. still see the golf ball. But yeah, the, the temperatures are, are really bad up here, but I think we're looking at the reason why a lot of folks travel down to Universal and to, to Disney during these cold months. We want to at least have a little bit of color in our skin. I bring this up because over the past six weeks or so, this, this unseasonably cold weather has sometimes stretched all the way down to Orlando, which is why back on November 27th, a, a number of the tourist corridor water parks closed. Okay, so during this particular cold snap, we had Disney's Typhoon Lagoon. It closed from Tuesday, November 27th through Thursday, November 29th. Blizzard Beach wasn't affected because Disney World's other water park had closed on October 28th for for its annual refurb. But Universal's Volcano Bay and SeaWorld's Aquatica, they closed on the 27th of November and Wednesday the 28th. And then that was also because of the cold. But Mm -hmm. So, Dustin, this happens again on November 9th. Again, Typhoon Lagoon, Volcano Bay, Aquatica, all turning away guests for three days due to a protracted cold snap. So, okay, we see the same thing happen on December 16th, and again on January 4th, and then again on January 9th. With the only difference being that because Blizzard Beach completed its its refurb on January 5th, well then the two Disney water parks switch. Mm-hmm. Typhoon Lagoon shuts down on January 6th to begin its refurb, and it won't be opening until March 16th. And that now gives international travelers, especially the folks from the UK, someplace to go swimming. Absolutely. And Universal and Disney are international theme parks. They're destinations that folks from other countries come to. And there are a lot of times that uh, these folks are, are planning years out to come over for two or three or, or even up to a, a month. Like we're talking weeks at a time. And when they're on Disney property, a lot of them end up getting annual passes similar to at Universal Studios. It's it's more economical when you're putting that into your budget. So a lot of these folks end up going to the water parks because like in the UK, it's still winter. It's same as it is up here. Going down and having a day at a water park is brilliant for them. But they're the only ones. It's them and Canadians. And that's just the way we work. You pretty much nailed it right there. The thing is that when people plan a vacation years in advance, and something like this happens, when a water park shuts down because it's cold, they get upset. In fact, the reason I'm sharing this story today on on today's Universal Joint Podcast is because if you follow the Universal Orlando Arizona social media, there's a number of folks who've been posting over there lately who've been absolutely reaming the Universal Orlando reps largely because these people perceive the huge number of days that Volcano Bay has been closed over the past week, six weeks is due to cold weather. Is It's a personal affront. Universal is ruining their vacation. And it's like, it wasn't just Universal. Disney and SeaWorld also closed its water parks to the public during the same set of cold snaps. In fact, more often than not, Disney kept its parks 
closed longer than Universal. But again, the people who are posting on the Universal social media accounts seem to be conveniently overlooking that. There's a reason (laughs) that Walt talked about building a dome city down in Central Florida back in the 1960s. It doesn't just get hot down there. It also there were also cold snaps, and far more than the citrus goers, or, or for that matter, far more than the people who organized the Florida Strawberry Festival, which this year I think is running February 28th through March 10th. Look, there have been far more cold snaps this year than Florida citrus growers and the, the state's tourist attractions would have liked. But on the other hand, I hear that the sales of souvenir sweatshirts to theme parks have been way up this year. So go figure. You you laugh, but it's funny. Uh, like when you're talking about souvenir sweatshirts, I was working at Walt Disney World in January. I had brought down all my stuff from Canada. You know, you get on the plane in one end. And it's snowstorm. On the other hand, you get off and, oh, sunny. Well, it still gets cold. So during the day when the sun's out, it's brilliant. During the nighttime, I think I bought over the course of my contract two or three long sleeve shirts at full price. I remember getting one because I I was going to go and check out Fantasmic. And I'm like, I'm a cast member and I'm buying a long sleeve shirt because I'm cold. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone back home is just laughing at me now. Anyone who's been in the theme parks this time of year when it gets cold, it's like, yes, you need that sweatshirt. Now, oh, before we get off the topic of water parks, just today, I guess, tickets went on sale for the HUO Glow Nights for the coming year at Disney's Typhoon Lagoon. This is an after-hours hard ticket that takes its inspiration from the Party Source Rex cartoon, that, that Toy Story short that Pixar did it in 2012, and tangent here folks dinosaur made me think of you were just talking about something you saw with the midway mayhem folks they posted a video on january 11th yeah so uh midway mayhem one of the youtube uh channels that i I follow especially when they're doing construction updates and Mm -hmm. they've been helpful especially in the past showing off some of the the things that happen in city walk and islands of adventure well This one was really interesting because as they were walking around in the Jurassic Park area, they had a little bit of a signage thing show up. Just a a sign. It was very quick. It was a sign of Jurassic World. Jurassic World, there is a sign. Now, when Jim and I were talking about this earlier, it was a sign. We don't know the context. We don't know whether or not it's a, a store We don't know whether or not it's for a special event. We have no context whatsoever. But it was kind of interesting to see that in a Jurassic Park section that there was something kind of leaning us towards thinking about what's coming. Not to believe the obvious here, but Universal Studios Hollywood closed its Jurassic Park water ride back on September 3rd to make way for a redo of that attraction that'll be Jurassic World themed. So it's not that far-fetched, but at the same time, remember, a lot of the stores on property have had displays for Jurassic World merch. Because again, this is this is universal, just like Disney. When you have a big film, you sell it in the park. So this would be cool if it's coming. But the folks at Midway Mayhem have been very diligent about covering all the site prep that's being done supposedly for the new coaster that's coming into Isles of Adventure in the Jurassic World section and still waiting on them to turn the key for that. 
Anyway, uh, getting back to H2O Glow Nights. Okay, supposedly that started last June at, at the Walt Disney World Resort as part of their incredible summer promotion. Mm-hmm. So successful uh, that they're at least bringing back this after-hours party. And not only that, they're starting it a full month earlier this year, so, uh, on May 30th to be exact. So if you want to check out H2O Glow Nights, they'll be presented at Typhoon Lagoon on Thursdays and Saturdays from May 30th through August 24th. Getting back to Universal now, January and February is supposed to be the secret season for the Universal Orlando Resort, the time when the crowds are lightest, when it's easiest to book a room at the resort or arrange for an affordable vacation package. Universal seems to be getting its full court press on getting people to book packages to stay in the six hotels on property. Have you seen the new ad campaign that got now, the sleep where the action is? Yeah, so they... It was kind of clever, the television campaign that they put out there. So it starts with a girl asleep in a bed who then wakes up to find that her bed is now floating through the Jurassic River adventure. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, as this is going on, a, a raptor menaces her. We cut to a shot of an alarm clock going off in the jungle. And as this enormous finger comes in to turn off that alarm and in the process, completely crushing that clock, We see another sleepwalker up uh, in his bed to discover that King Kong is staring at him. And when we see the the boy waking up in his bed, his bed is uh, in the middle of Hogsmeade. Like there's all of these different images that catch people and especially kids dreaming of being at Universal Orlando. Then kid wakes up in bed and but he's he's not in a ride. He's in a, a hotel room that has... You know how Disney always does the ad where the kid opens the window and the castle is like right outside? This is Universal's version of that. So it's it's the Volcano Bay Mountain and the family is standing dazzled in front of the window. So what's interesting to me is given that Universal Studios Hollywood has a Jurassic Park ride. Well, again, going to be a Jurassic World ride as of next summer or this summer. That has the King Kong 360 3D thing as part of its tram tour even as a Hogsmeade on a Hogwarts Express. So they could use this exact same ad to promote staying at the Universal Sheraton, the Universal Hilton, but given that Universal Parks and Resorts doesn't actually own those hotels, I, I don't get the idea of them promoting vacation packages. But I guess while we're talking about Universal Studios Hollywood, if you live out in Southern California, a couple events coming up that you might want to put on your calendar... First and foremost, we've got that theme park's Lunar New Year celebration, which runs at Universal Studios Hollywood from February 2nd through the 17th. Now, in almost that exact same window of time, isn't that when Universal Studios Florida is doing Mardi Gras? Yeah, and we talked about this during our record time that we spent on the the year in review. But yeah, we were talking about the resort going into this uh, this downtime and the easiest way to get folks to come down to Universal and Disney is to put on events and activities. And one of the events that they do is Mardi Gras. It starts February 9th through until April 4th. But what they're doing is for 13 select nights during that event, they're actually bringing in some of the biggest names in music today. So the ones that we shared last time were Macklemore on February 23rd. We have Sean Paul. We have Steve Miller Band. We have Ziggy Marley. But recently they announced that Pitbull was going to be showing up. And we all know that Pitbull 
had a very close relationship with Universal, especially when Jimmy Fallon was opening up his attraction. It was always Pipple and the Rock. So I'm a big fan of seeing those collaborations continue. And especially during the offseason, heading down to Florida, you can't go wrong with a a performance by Pitbull or Macklemore to justify the plane ticket down. Got it. Uh, Getting back to Universal Hollywood now, one of the reasons I enjoy the Lunar New Year celebration, well, first of all, I've always been fascinated by how they constantly reinvent the Upper Lots Universal Plaza area. I mean, think about it. You know, this is... Q space used during Halloween Horror Nights. This is where Grinchmas is presented just you know, a week after that as part of holidays at the Universal Hollywood Resort. And and then come February thereabouts, you see the Upper Plaza area suddenly, here we are, Lunar New Year. And it's you string up these Chinese lanterns, you get these stunning peach blossom wishing trees and displays explaining the 12 animal signs of the Chinese zodiac. But the part of this that I enjoy the most that they just introduced in the the past year, now again, I guess you have to be a a big Jim Henson fan to get excited about this, but they built Mr. Ping's Noodle Shop. Now, those of you who remember the, the Kung Fu Panda movies, Mr. Ping is the duck who adopted Poe. They turned to the folks at the Jim Henson Creature Shop and had them build... A, a Mr. Ping puppet that is, it's an exact likeness. It's dead on. And again, what's terrific about it is they have him in his noodle shop and guests are invited to go up and interact with, with Mr. Ping. And it's really killer work by the Hanson people. And it's this lovely little show that's part of the Lunar New Year celebration at Universal Hollywood. It's a seasonal celebration, so there's food, there's oogways, egg rolls, there's secret ingredients, stir-fry noodles, and by the way, if you eat too much of this stuff, not to worry, you can just come back to Universal Hollywood on May 11th when they will have the very first running Universal events. This is different than the 5K they did at Universal Orlando, right? That was 2016, 2017, that was only team members, is that correct, or... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, this is the one that's open to the public. It's minion-themed, and it's a 5K. It starts in the upper lot. You actually run through the front gate, and then you basically circle the property. And you go over the course of this this race, um, you pass some of the most iconic sets on the Universal backlot. And the race ends at Universal City Walk by their five towers complex and there the minions will be waiting you for you great post-race party with live food or excuse me live music not live food (laughs) and also did i mention a swag bag that all racers will get for participating in this this inaugural west coast universal running event that's a few months off though in the future and and if we we look ahead even further than that 2020 did you see the story that broke this week about NBC Universal has decided to follow Disney and Warner's in in setting up its own video streaming service? Yeah, that didn't surprise me at all. When you're looking at it, the streaming market has changed. Mm-hmm. When I was running a blockbuster back in the day, we had VHS and then you had the introduction of DVDs and then Blu-rays and 
now we're in into streaming and streaming is another revenue source. And as the entertainment landscape changes, it makes sense for these larger organizations that have really deep movie catalogs. And NBC Universal is probably one of the top ones out there that it just makes sense. Disney Plus, the Disney service that's launching later this year, that's a subscription streaming service. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay. Whereas if you're already a subscriber to a traditional pay television service, this will be free. And they're going to start off with a library of 15,000 hours of classic NBC shows like Saturday Night Live and Parks of Recreation. If, on the other hand, you're not a subscriber to a pay television service, they're talking that its may cost would-be viewers about $12 a month, which is actually supposedly about $7 higher than what Disney is supposed to charge. I wonder what Netflix is making of this, you know, with Warners and Disney and now NBC Universal sort of horning in on their, their turf. What was kind of interesting about the pieces that broke about this NBC video streaming service is that supposedly one of the very first things that NBC said to Netflix is, oh, by the way, as of 2021, we want The Office back. Yeah, we, we saw that coming, especially with a lot of their top rated shows. What was very interesting when I was you know doing a little bit of a deep dive into this was less about the quality. So keep in mind, Universal and NBC, they, they have a huge history but it's it's the pricing and i think the more that we were talking even back to the first or second episode of the universal joint we were looking at how netflix has disrupted the way that movies are released we're now going to this mentality where within two or three months the movie is available on netflix so as a outside party netflix has been the only player now as we're going forward all of these companies and and we've had it up here in canada the last couple of years there were a couple of um cable subscription traditional tv that turned into a an online platform where you can go in and you had to be a uh, a subscriber of their tv to get the online content and we realized that it's less about the way that people are getting this content and more about the content itself. So that could be very interesting looking into 2020, which it kind of caught up uh, to us when we were talking about this. Speaking of subscription streaming services, that for some reason makes me think of the whole Universal has too many attractions that make use of screens controversy, which began bubbling up again online this past week. So how about this, Dustin? Let's talk a little bit more about that when we get back from our commercial break. And we're back. January is always a tough month for fans of the Universal Parks and Resorts. Uh, That's largely because back on January 2nd, 2012, that was when the Jaws ride closed at Universal Studios Florida to make way for the second Wizarding World, Diagon Alley, which opened in that same theme park on July 8th, 2014. Given that this year is the seventh anniversary of the closing of Jaws, we're seeing the the usual stories that start to pop up online about how the Universal Parks and Resorts have, have too many rides and attractions that are built around screens and 
this happens this time of year largely because Jaws the Ride, which remember, you were on an actual boat and you went by actual sets and you had sharks jump out of the water at you. It, it was replaced by Harry Potter and the Escape from Gringotts, which in spite of Disney's claim that the Epcot still under construction Guardians of the Galaxy attraction will have the world's first storytelling coaster with, with cars that turn and allow writers to follow the action i i'm sorry but the real honors for creating that sort of ride system they fall to universal creative because that's what powers escape from gringotts on the heels of skull island reign of khan which which opened at universal isles adventure back in july 2016 and race to new york with starring jimmy fallon which opened at universal studios florida in april of 2017 and Fast and Furious Supercharge, which opens at same theme park just last year in April. Not to mention the Kung Fu Panda Emperor's Quest 4D movie that, that debuted at the, the Dream, uh, DreamWorks Theater at Universal Studios Hollywood in June of last year. I, I get it. People look at that and say Universal Parks and Resorts have added a lot of attractions lately that make mm-hmm. use of screens. But for me, when you do that, when you just focus on all of these things of screens... That overlooks how ambitious and innovative Universal Creative can be with screen-based shows. I mean, take, for example, the Transformer the Ride 3D. It's got screens. It's got 14 custom-built screens that are built right on top of props that build in seamlessly. But this is an attraction that has dimensional sets, a 2,000-foot ride track that actually is spread out across this multi-story, 60,000-square-foot ride show building, and it's all custom-built, and it all tells this exciting three-and-a-half, four-minute-long story. But again, if you talk with, with certain theme park fans, all they say is, well, yeah, look at all the screens, as if yeah. what Universal Creative does is that when they're putting together an attraction, they turn to somebody in the office and go, go over to Best Buy. Get us some really big screens. Because that's really not how this works. I mean, you've been on Escape to Gringotts, right? Yeah. And you're you're looking at, a, you know, an experience that unless you're, you're really pinpointing that, oh, it's a screen, that's it. No, that's, that's not the way that these experiences, the ones that we're talking about that are true, and I'll, Take the Disney e-ticket experiences, and we've we've talked about the the way that Universal's built certain experiences into being updated, and there are a lot of these these attractions that, as new technologies are are coming in, they're able to put them uh, seamlessly right into the rides. Look at Spider Man. Spider Man has gone through many iterations. But as they increase the capacity of the ride vehicles and, and the, the screens themselves, they can do that very seamlessly and you wouldn't even understand it. Like you, you wouldn't notice it while you're going through the experience. And I think it's a lot of armchair editors who are trying to come up with not clickbait, but very much so, especially in the off season, they're trying to figure out how to run a theme park. And I think you and I have have met enough folks who are part of Universal Creative or Imagineers where it's less about the way that you can tell this story and more about the story itself. And if that includes screens, then so be it. Just this, later this year, we've got Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad 
opening at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Mm -hmm. And we've had a number of shows that use projection mapping. Sure. We have the nighttime lights at, at Hogwarts. We have the Jingle Bell, Jingle Bam, the Happily Ever After. But, you know, these are shows. What's interesting about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad is that it's going to be the first to use projection mapping inside a building. And again, I mean, again, a dark, deliberately dark building. So you can get maximum effect out of this technology. So this is still projection. But the thing is, the screen is literally the entire room that will transform from show scene to show scene to show scene. Uh, getting back to Harry Potter and the Escape to Gringotts now. I, again, I, I think when people say, okay, that's a, that's an attraction with screens, it's, it, it so overlooks you know the things like the lobby. I mean, that giant space where you have these vaulted ceilings and all of these animatronic goblins who are, are grimacing and, and scribbling. And and then you, you head down the hall into Bill Weasley's office and you have that amazing Pepper's Ghost scene. And, and to me, that's more impressive than the Haunted Mansion's ballroom scene, largely mm -hmm. because that has to work you're close to it i mean you're not 30 feet up looking down into the ballroom through a giant pane of glass this is mylar right in front of you hiding in plain sight mm -hmm. and then you know you cut to the throwaway scene where you're supposedly taking the elevator down to the vaults and look anybody who's been to the original version of the living seas pavilion at epcot you know this effect when you rode the hydrolators down to see base alpha, but this is it writ large and with projected effects on the ceiling that sell you on the idea that there are other elevators in the shaft. And it's just sort of over the past five years, the rise of Universal Creative, they make use of, of screens and projected effects, but it's, it's how they mix these screens with other elements, things like dimensional sets, practical effects, animatronics, or insanely detailed pre-show space like the queue for fast and furious supercharge i mean you and i both on the last show talked about how we really didn't like that ride okay. absolutely but that said even a casual fan of the fast and furious film franchise has to be impressed by toretto's garage you know and you know the mind-blowing level of detail in there and if you're a theme park fan half the fun for me is walking through and seeing all the Easter eggs that pay tribute to universal ride shows and attractions we lost to make room for Fast and Furious Supercharge. Well, yeah, and and when we were we've uh, I'm trying to remember what we were talking about exactly during the the show when you were down there for the media event, but we went through the queue mm -hmm. and actually talked about like there was a, a Jaws like all the keychains they all had a different level of understanding that even a person who has maybe never been to a theme park would be like oh that's pretty cool there's a, a harry potter nod or an et nod or but that's all about the level of detail that universal creative and over at disney the the imagineers go into utilizing technology and i think that's one of the things going into moving forward with all of the projects that are coming out that Universal is, has announced and not announced. There's a lot of things that, that are going to be kind of brought up in forums like ours, where we're able to go back and forth and talk about how 
theme parks have changed. Now, speaking of, of projects that Universal has in the works, at this point, we really have to pivot to Hagrid's flying motorcycle or whatever the hell they're going to call that coaster that they're building over at Isles of Adventure just down the hill from Hogsmeade. This attraction is going to have screens. Absolutely. Because all of the marquee attractions within the Wizarding World make use of them. It was the only way J.K. Rowling would allow characters who were portrayed by actors and actresses in the Harry Potter movies to appear in the Universal theme parks. But in addition to those brief storytelling scenes that will be projected on custom-made screens that will be made to blend in with their surroundings, we're going to have a state-of-the-art coaster that's going to do things coasters just aren't supposed to be able to do, plus physical representations of creatures from the Harry Potter Books and movies are going to blow your mind as you whiz by them at warp speed. So, so for a genuinely ambitious attraction like that, Dustin, I'm willing to overlook a few screens. Absolutely. And I think that you and I have, have talked about things from the experience that are, that are being built. It's all about the feeling that you get when you leave. And I think the last thing that you think about as you're leaving Gringotts or as you're getting off of Forbidden Journey or even off of the Hogwarts Express is, wow, that used a lot of screens. No, that's not the way that you feel. You feel like you are in that world. And I think that's that's incredibly important. And let's be honest, even the attractions that kind of miss, and I'm, I'm looking at you racing through New York starring Jimmy Fallon, I'm a, a lover of show business history. So that space on the first floor where they have all the Tonight Show memorabilia, that's great fun mm-hmm. for me. Uh, when you go upstairs and after a day in a in a theme park, you have a place to sit down with air yep. conditioning and you can plug in your phone, you can play a game. It's followed by a simulator ride that has kind of a meh host and, and Jimmy Fallon and, I mean, not entirely successful, but I'm willing to overlook that. It, it, it has one joke. I mean, it's it's such a dumb joke. It makes me laugh every time I get on the ride. The uh, there's that moment where they're oh, they're on the moon and you you know you have Fallon. He's hearing the pre-recorded spiel that once completed, the space train will be the first ever roller coasters from the moon to the earth. And Fallon's like, "Wait, what? Once completed?" And, ah! You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a great joke. I mean, it's a, all right, it's a dumb joke, but it's entertaining. And and speaking of of entertaining people. Dustin, when they're not listening to what you and I are blithering about here on the Universal Podcast, where can they find your very entertaining insights? So I'm over at StepsToMagic.com, trip planning, you know, top 10 lists, top 10 things that you should do in the the whizzing world of Harry Potter if you're a true fan, things not to miss, like all all that stuff is just a lot of fun for me. So that's where I'm at over at StepsToMagic.com and I'm around Okay, okay. My Side of the Fence, the Disney Dish podcast with Len Testa. And mm-hmm. by the way, we also do special Bandcamp-only episodes there. I think they post on Thursday. There is the Looking at Lucasfilm podcast that I do with the amazing Dan Z. Uh, there's the Fine Tuning podcast, which looks at everything that's going on in animation. Been a relatively quiet time over on that side of the fence. Nothing going on there. I listened to your guys' recent episode, like the one that just launched. Eh. Brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely. It was it was hilarious. Like in part of the fun of this, the network is hearing people who have opinions talking to other people who have opinions. Man, and I think that was know, a the, really the, good the, show. Trust me, there are a lot of opinions out there. About <laughs> Mr. Lasseter going to Skydance right now. And 
Well, anyway, folks, thanks for listening, and we will be back with another episode of Universal Joint Podcast in the very near future. Till then, thanks for listening. It's been groovy having you hang with us for the Universal Joint. Tune in again for this and other great podcasts found on the Jim Hill Media Network.